Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. Isaiah 43, 19 says, Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall ye not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And I want to uh, specifically concentrate on those words. I will do a new thing. I will do a new thing. Jesus, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, God, that we have the capacity to read it and understand it by the power of your spirit. I pray, Lord, that you would do your work in our hearts today, God, that you would speak to us, that you would give us revelation, Lord, that we might apply it, that we might have our lives changed by it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you, Lord. You may be seated. Thank you. Hallelujah. Well, it's one day, there's one day left of 2018. One day left. So it's time for something new, right? 2018 is almost done and 2019 is waiting in the wings. Um, Seth, if you would pass those out, that would be great. My son is going to come around right now and, and not everyone will get what he's giving out at the moment, but you'll see why in a little bit. So we get excited about new things. You guys get excited about something new? What, what do you get excited about? What new things do you get excited about? Do you, do you get excited when you finally saved up enough money to buy a new computer or a new car or new clothes? Everybody has their thing, right? Babies, we get excited about babies. That's something new, right? What, it's not, nothing so precious as a new baby, right? a new baby. So uh, we get excited about new things. Do you get excited about old things? Oh, maybe, maybe, maybe. Yes, sometimes. Yes, history and tradition maybe. But something new hold, holds a, a very unique amount of things in it. It, it holds um, excitement because you can look at it like, oh, something great is going to happen here. I, I just know it. It could hold trepidation. We're not sure. There could be a little bit of fear because of the unknown of what the new thing will bring to you. And, and that's kind of how we might see the new year, 2019. Maybe 2018 was a great year. So maybe you're feeling like, well, 2019, I mean, can it get better than that? Or is this going to be my bad year? Or maybe you're looking at it with a little bit of fear. Or maybe you, you uh, are really, really happy to slam the book shut on 2018 <laughs> and say, that one's done and hallelujah for it. <laughs> maybe that's how you feel about 2018. And, you know, we all have good years and we have bad years. There's ups and downs to life. That's just part of what life is. And so 2019 might be something exciting for you. You might be looking at it like, there. you know what? This past one was bad enough that the next one's got to be better. It's got to be better. Maybe that's how you're looking at it. But really, you know what? The new year is just, just a change from one day to the next, right? This particular time around is just Tuesday to Wednesday, right? Tuesday to Wednesday happens 52 times every year. 
So what are, what are we nervous about? Tuesday to Wednesday. So sometimes we put too much emphasis on new things and we, we can kind of freak ourselves out about the new thing because we're, we're uh, putting more into it than we need to. Sometimes we're actually applying fears that don't need to be there. Sometimes we're applying trepidation that shouldn't be there. And um, new things are a big deal because new things hold potential. They hold opportunity. New things are clean. They're fresh. They're new. They're pure. Have you ever remodeled a room in your house? And when, when you got the remodeling done, you're like, this is the best room in the house. Oh, shoot. Now we have to do the rest of the house <laughs> because it, it's so clean and new and nice looking. And, and you feel like this is the best way to live. So now all the rooms have to be like that. <laughs> So we like that feeling of clean. We like that feeling of fresh and new and, and that purity, that feeling of there's no mistakes yet. I haven't, I haven't messed it up yet. Because I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm pretty good at messing things up. I mean, I have practice with that. <laughs> Many years of practice. I'm, I'm, I've gotten good at it. <laughs> um, and new things appeal to our sense of completion, don't they? Um, when you do buy something brand new, you feel like, okay, it's never been touched. It's complete. It's, it's the best it can be right now. That's how we feel about a baby, right? <laughs> it appeals to our sense of complete. And our com that sense of completion is something that God gave us because we're made in his image. And God is a God of completion, in fact, he said that we will be complete in him at some point. That means we can't be complete without him. We have to have him to be complete. Everything was new at one time, but nothing stays new. Everything gradually gets old, right? All of us were that cute little baby at some point, but now we've aged. We're not the same. We're not fresh and, and new and no mistakes yet. We're all, we've all got stuff. We've got, all got that stuff. But the Bible talks about God makes things new. Like the verse that we read, behold, I will make a new thing. God makes things new. So today we're going to talk about four ways that God makes things new. Because he does have a, a way of doing that. It's, it's not just magical. It's not just, oh, okay. I don't know what happened there. No, he's intentional. God is intentional. And so there's four ways that he does make things new. So we're going to look at that. So the first way he makes things new is he creates. Number one, he creates. We know the very first verse in the Bible says Genesis, in Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And... Um, if you grew up around the church, that may have been one of the very first verses that you memorized because it's easy and it's right at the beginning. And it says God created the heavens and the earth, which means they didn't exist before then. He created them. He made something out of nothing. So he's a God that creates. He made it new. It was a new heaven. It was a new earth. Um, it wasn't there before. And then if you go through the days of creation, you see each day he made other new things, right? 
he made the oceans. He made the, the dry land to appear. Then he started putting things on it. He put trees. He put plants and flowers and, and all the things that our environment needs to work together to create a habitat that we can live in. So he, he made all of those things. The dirt was there. The, all, all the things that we would need. He created that. And day four, he, he made the, the sun and the moon and the stars. Well, we need, we need the sun. <laughs> that's something that's important to us. He created that. He made it. It was brand new at one time. He made the moon. He made the stars. They were brand new at one time. And God created them. And day five, he decided to make animals that could fly, called birds. And he, he put animals in the oceans that lived there. That was their habitat, called fish. He made those things. He created them. They didn't exist before that. They were new. And then on day six, he made something else new. We weren't just another animal. He got down into the dirt and he formed us, the Bible says. He formed us intentionally. He formed Adam intentionally and then breathed the, the life of his spirit into Adam. And then Adam became a living soul, the Bible says. It was new. There had never been a man before. And then... He created a woman. That time he chose to take something from Adam to create her. But again, it was new. There hadn't been a woman before. So there was this progression of, of newness. And that, that speaks about the character of God. There's always a progression of newness with God. If you are living for God and you come to a stagnant place in your life, you need newness. And that, that's not God's intention. He creates. He makes new. 1 Timothy 4, 4 says, For every creature or created thing of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. So all the things that God creates, they're all good because he's a good God. That's part of his character. The things he creates will reflect who he is. So you reflect who he is, but so does his creation. That's why the Bible says that we are without um, excuse. If, if we are saying, well, I have no way of knowing it for sure if there's a God or not, there is evidence in nature. It shows the character of God so that you have an idea that there really is a God. That gives us the clues that we need, that there is a God and we need to find him. We need to, to seek after him. God is the creator, the author of all. Everything he makes is good. It's perfect. It's lacking in nothing. It's complete. He created it because he created it. We were created by God. We were an original creation. We literally came into existence for the purpose of choosing relationship with God. See, there's the intention that's the reason God created us, so that we would have a relationship with him. He made us complete. If you have a concept that it's hard for you to have a relationship with God because of who you are, or maybe because of what you've been through, what you've experienced, things that have been done to you, you couldn't be more wrong. Because when God created you, he created you with the capacity of relationship with him. It is already there. You might have to look for it, but it's already there. He created you that way. Unfortunately, when sin entered the world, 
we became tarnished. And the sin removes intimacy with God. Sin shoves its way into the relationship. Well, a lot of times we allow it. But (laughs) when it's there, it pushes us from God. It pushes us from God. I remember um, talking with a young lady when we were youth pastors. Um, this young lady would come and she would pray in the altar every Sunday and she would cry and bawl and pray and everything. I mean, it was just excruciating. And I started talking with her and, and I said, there, you have to be able to get beyond that. What, what ex- exactly are you bringing to the Lord? She said, I just, I'm so sorrowful because I feel so far from God. And that was a little puzzling right at that moment because I'm like, well, you're in the presence of God all the time. You're crying and praying in the altar. You're obviously reaching for him. How can you feel like he's far away when he's obviously right here? It didn't make sense to me. But we all sometimes feel far from God. Have you felt far from God before? Ever felt that, you know, no matter what you did, you felt like, okay, I'm not sure. <laughs> are my prayers just bouncing off that ceiling? What, where are they going? How, how, how is this even doing anything? Um, is this worth it? Is it worth it? And, and we, we can get into a little bit of a funk that way and feel like there, I, I don't know what's going on here, but God is far away or he seems to be far away. And the Lord spoke to me for that young lady in particular, and I believe it applies to all of us. When I feel far from God, I remind myself, he's not the one that moved. He's not the one that moved. I did. And it may be because I have allowed some sin into my life because the one thing that will separate us from our relationship with God is sin. That's the thing sin. So if you feel far from God, please examine yourself. Ask the Lord to help you examine yourself. Do I have sin somewhere in my life? You may not be aware of it, or you may be aware of it. But we all have that problem every now and again when we let sin in. We don't know why everything all of a sudden seems to be crashing to the ground. We don't know why God feels so far away. But it's something we can actually do something about. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. But we were created with, uh, by God for a relationship. So the first one is God creates. That's one of the ways he makes all things new. The second way he makes things new is he restores. And we sing about it in the song, just he restores. Jesus, you know, Jesus came to earth and he lived for 30 years and then he started his ministry, right? Three years of ministering. If you look carefully at his ministry, it was all a ministry of restoration, reconciliation. The Bible says he came into the world to reconcile us to him. So everything he did was restoring, making things new again. It, he, um, in Mark 8, 22 through 26, he, it tells a story of how he restored sight to a blind man. Here was a blind man who had been blind since birth, and Jesus came and did something odd. He spit in the dirt, and he, he formed the dirt and the spit into mud, and like kind of like a mud ball, and he put it in his eye. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, you know, here you go. Here's your, here's your gift. <laughs> the gift of sight, mud balls. 
We don't always know why God does the, the things he does, why he does them that way. Why did he choose to do it that way? We don't know for sure because it doesn't really say. But the man had faith anyways, and <laughs> the Lord restored his sight. Now, that was one example of how God restored something that um, was lost. Another example is Matthew 9, 2 through 8. He healed the man that was crippled with palsy. And uh, the, the, the palsy, I think you talked about it in spirit life class this morning. Palsy was, uh, a had a crippling effect. It was, um, they also referred to it sometimes as withering. Um, you ever heard of the story of the man that had the withered hand? He couldn't stretch forth his hand. It was deformed because of something that had gone wrong. I don't know if it was nerve damage or what it was exactly, or if it was just disease that had done it. But this man was crippled with palsy. And God healed him. He restored his body to its original intent. And then in Mark 7, 31 through 37, he healed a man who was deaf and dumb. The man couldn't talk, he couldn't hear. And he healed that man. And then in Luke 5, he came upon a man that had leprosy and the man asked him to heal him and he did. He gave the man new skin. So see, these are examples of ways that God can heal, ways that God can restore, ex specific examples of when he did do it. Now, was every single person in the Bible healed? No. God has an intention for every single person. The ones that were healed, that was the intention. The ones that were not, that was the intention. We sometimes get lost in our, our faith process with that because we're, we're like, well, okay, God can do it, so why doesn't he? Why doesn't God do what I'm asking him to do? I've been asking him for this for years. I'm thinking about something right now. I have something that I struggle with that I've been asking the Lord to fix for years and years and years. And it's pretty much the same as it was back then. But God has a plan for that, and I am required to have faith in that. But Jesus did um, work in the ministry of restoration while he was on earth, and in all of these examples, he didn't just heal the physical infirmities and deformities, but then we see that he was actually touching their life in a way that would restore their life. That was what he was interested the most in. Their life, their security, the hope of broken people, that hope that had been lost. He brought that hope back to them. And that was the point. That was why Jesus was here. He's the hope of the world. He's the hope of salvation. He's the hope of eternal life. That was what he was bringing to these people. And you know what? He hasn't changed. God has not changed. He's still a God of hope. If you have no hope, he can bring hope. He will give you hope. He's more interested in giving you hope than he is in giving you healing. He's more interested in having your faith grow than he is in you being able to do the things you want to do. He's more interested in the things that matter, the eternal things, but he hasn't changed. He still works to restore. So God creates to make things new. He restores to make things new. We can, we can be restored. Our relationship with God can be restored through forgiveness and justification. Jesus' perfect sacrifice on Calvary restores us spiritually by covering our sin with his blood. When the judge looks at the sin, he only sees that sacrifice, that blood covering the debt of sin that we owed. We deserve to die for our sin, but he has covered us with his blood. He makes it new.
as if it didn't happen. Thank you, Jesus. The third way that he makes things new is he renames. All through scripture, there's a lot of significance given to names. We know this. Parents named their children with intention. They chose names that meant something. It had something to do with what they were going through. It had something to do with who they were or who they were going to be. Portrayed a lot of significance. Proverbs 22.1, Solomon taught us that names are so important, so valuable, that we're supposed to very carefully guard our name, our reputation. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. So even more significance is given to the renaming of people in Scripture, Think about it. There's a lot of renamed people in the Bible. Now, I was born Sarah. I still am Sarah. Well, no, actually, I did get renamed when I married my husband. (laughs) So, yes, okay. So that's significant. But in the scripture, there was some renaming going on. Whenever God gave someone a new name, it was always a sign of renewed purpose, new purpose, and a redeemed life. Who are some examples? Abram became Abraham. Saul became Paul. Jacob became Israel. Sarai became Sarah. Any other ones? Those are the ones that I had listed. So those were all, and think about how their lives changed after. If you know the stories, their lives significantly changed after they were renamed. Jacob went from being a deceiver to being a mighty man who was the father of a mighty nation. Wow, that's significant. Saul went from being a persecutor, a killer of Christians, to being, I think, the best missionary ever to live. Significant difference. Renaming seems to matter. Jesus told Simon, you will no longer be known as Simon, but now you're going to be known as Peter means a rock. So significant changes with renaming. We can be renamed spiritually. God can make it us new by applying the name of Jesus Christ to us through baptism. In the water of baptism, when you go down in the water of baptism and you have uh, that name of Jesus Christ called over you as you go down in the water of baptism, you are having a name change. You're taking on the power of a name that wasn't yours originally, but God is giving you access to the power of that name. He is allowing you to have it move in you, to have it work in you, to have it change you in your situations. It's not your power. It's his power, but it seals us. It makes us complete again. It washes away sin. We're no longer the things that we once were. Our old labels no longer apply. 1 Corinthians 6, um, in verse 9 and 10, which we're not going to read, but right before this, there was a a nice little list of of yuckiness. (laughs) And it it says, uh, you were all these things, all kinds of, I mean, just murderers and liars and, and fornicators and all these things. And Paul was listing out this, this not-so-nice-a-list. He gets to verse 11. He says, such were some of you. This was you guys. I just, I just described you. But you're washed. 
you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. So when he renames you in the waters of baptism, it makes you new again. You were a murderer, but now you're a child of the living king. You were a fornicator, but now you're clean and pure in him. You had done all these things, but no longer do you need to do them. And then he goes on to say, don't walk in that sin any longer. Put it away from you. If you've been washed, let yourself remain clean and pure. And if you make a mistake, point back to it. Say, Lord, I, I have done this and I'm sorry. Would you cleanse me again? And he will because he promises to do it. He will make you new again. And then the fourth way that he makes us new is resurrection. He resurrects. God can make dead things alive again. Literally, he did, he does, he has. I personally know a woman who died. She was dead for, I think it was 47 minutes and she is alive. Um, and at this point in time, she's very healthy now. Uh, he literally can raise bodies to life. He has the power over death. He demonstrated it three days after Calvary. Three days after Calvary. And he he told them it was going to happen. He told them it was going to happen. And it did. He, he was raised again. And his resurrection power comes along with every, he, everything he is includes the resurrection power. So when you are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that's the Spirit of God. That is the Spirit that has resurrected, resurrected Jesus out of the grave. And it needs to be applied to you so that you will be resurrected. Let's look at that. Um, first, Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. So if you operate in sin, what you're going to get is the paycheck of death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So wages of sin equals eternal death. When we choose to die to sin, though, we're, that's a death we're choosing then. We put that sin aside. We repent. We bury those sins in water baptism. Then we're allowing God's power to rule over sin in our lives. And it will change the consequence from eternal death to eternal life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And in Ephesians, it says in chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, in whom Christ is talking about, ye also trusted, you trusted in Christ. After that, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of the glory of his glory. What's the purchased possession? Our souls are the purchased possession of God. What's the redemption? Salvation of our souls, eternal life being given to us, heaven, if you will, someday heaven with Jesus. The Holy Spirit of promise is the earnest of our inheritance. When you make a large purchase, you may be required to put down a little bit of money to say, hey, I'm good for this. I am going to do this. That's called earnest money. And 
the scripture says that when he puts his Holy Spirit inside of you, he has given you a little bit of heaven saying, this is what you're going to experience. This is just, this is my promise to say, hey, this is real. You can have it. I'm going to give you a bit of it already just so that you remain convinced that that's what you're going to experience up there. And up there, we're going to get all of it. Hallelujah. So he puts his spirit in us as a down payment of heaven, a down payment of eternal life. Romans 8, 1 says, I'm sorry, 8, 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus Christ from the dead, if it dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. There is going to come a day when Jesus will return for his church. The second coming of Christ. And it's only by the spirit that we would be able to resurrect. If we are one of the ones that has passed away before that happens, the Bible says that the dead in Christ will rise first. How are they going to rise? They can't do it by themselves. If the spirit of him that raised up Jesus Christ dwells in you, he shall also quicken your mortal body. That spirit that you received while you were alive is what's going to resurrect you after you've passed. And then 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18 says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain, if we happen to be one of those, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's eternal life right there. Those that have already died physically will be resurrected to join him and his bride that he's catching away at that time. Isaiah 43, 19. If we go back to that original scripture and look at it again, behold, I will make a new thing. So he might create it. He might, lost my place. <laughs> he might create it. He might restore it. He might rename it. He might resurrect it. But any of those methods can be used to make something new. And he will do a new thing in your life. Now it shall spring forth. Don't you know it? Don't you believe it? Believe it. I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. He's talking about things that are generally impossible. Rivers don't run through deserts. That's why it's a desert. I know that seems pretty obvious, but... Why it's a desert? Because there's no river there. There's no water. So it's an arid climate. But he says, I'll make rivers in the desert. Sometimes we don't even see the new things that God is, <laughs> is doing in our life because it's so different than what we think it would look like. If you're living in a desert place, you're not really expecting to see a river. Maybe you're not, you've not even thought of it. And God is saying, I'm going to put a river in your life. Rivers are flowing. Rivers are alive. Sometimes they look so different than our expectations. But God excels in the impossible. He excels in the impossible. We sang this morning, nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is impossible. God can do anything. Do you believe it? Yes, I believe. I believe. Is anything too hard for my God? No. He never stopped being the creator. You know, he didn't just create at the beginning of time. He wasn't a creator for just a few moments. He is still the creator, the creator of new things. 
He's a God of the new. He says, I will do a new thing. If we can have the music come. He will do a new thing in you. He will create in you. He will rename you. He will restore you. He will resurrect you. I want to tell you a story of two Marys. Two Marys in the Bible. The first Mary that we um, just probably spent a lot of time thinking about this past week was Mary, the mother of Jesus. And Mary was created by God. God created some things in her. Some of the new things that came to her life. First of all, she apparently was a very good girl. She was a good girl. That, ma that mattered. That mattered. And God chose her because of her goodness. So that was one thing that he had already created in her. But then as she journeyed, as she went on the journey with him, fulfilling prophecy, she saw God create in her an immaculate conception. That's like the river in the desert. That had never happened before. She saw that happen in her. God created that in her. And because of that, he created for her an intimate knowledge of what God was like in flesh because she cradled that baby. She helped him learn to walk. She watched him grow physically. She observed all the things that he did. She observed when he astounded the men in the temple. She observed all the things. It actually talks about how she took them, she pondered them, she kept them in her heart. She was a different person because of those things. That was a creation of God in her life. Thoughts and ideas and revelations so incredibly different that she hold on, held on to them to think about them in private and to ponder what was God doing with this. And then came the moment of something else new that wasn't easy. See, all that seems like such so much beauty, you know, all this, all these beautiful things. But then she came to the hard, hard thing of watching her firstborn son be killed in a gruesome manner horrible manner no mother wants to see that she knew he was a perfect and sinless man she knew that firsthand she knew that better than any other person but God created something new in her and that new was actually sorrow because sometimes sorrow and struggle make, takes us to a new place that we wouldn't have been if we hadn't experienced that so she had to experience that creation in her life. And then from there, she got to see the resurrection. She got to be around while he was walking earth after he had resurrected. She got to see the lives he touched there. She got to hear the promise of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible tells us that she was in the upper room and she received the Spirit of God just like everyone else. She got that new creation as well. That's the first Mary. Maybe your life looks a little bit like her. Maybe you were a good person growing up. Maybe you don't have a lot of bad things in your life. Maybe you just seem to go from revelation to revelation. Maybe you've had sorrow in your life. Maybe that's the Mary you are.
The other Mary also knew Jesus. Her name was Mary Magdalene. She was not a good girl. The Bible says she wasn't a good girl at all. She was a harlot. She was a bad girl. She was the girl from the wrong side of the tracks. Her and Mary would never have been best friends growing up. Those two Marys would not have hung out together because they came from two completely different lifestyles. But God created in both of them because that's what he does. He creates in every single one of us. He wants a relationship with every single one of us. It doesn't matter where your beginnings were. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter at all the things that you've experienced except to bring you to the point of where you are right now and what God is creating in you right now. And for Mary Magdalene, God created acceptance where there was, she was unacceptable to society. But God created an acceptance. He accepted her. He said, no, I will let you be part of who I am. She got to hang out with Jesus. As a woman, she was used to being taken advantage of by the men in her life. But around Jesus, she was safe. She was safe from harm. She could trust him completely. That was something new for her. He forgave her sin. She was shameful. She was dirty. She was socially unacceptable. But Jesus said, no, I will make something new. I will clean you. I will make you pure again. That's what Jesus did for her. And then he offered her shelter from criticism. She's the one they think that came and broke that box of ointment over his feet and wiped her feet with his hair and immediately they were ready to say what are you doing how dare you why why did you do that and Jesus sheltered her from the criticism when we run to Jesus, sometimes how we approach Jesus, other people will not like it. Other people will be like, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? That is weird. That is unacceptable. And yet Jesus says, no, I see your heart. I know why you're coming in the manner you're coming. I know where you've been through and why you're coming to this point right here. I wanna encourage you today that Jesus knows where you've been he knows where you're going he will accept where you've been you're not too shameful for him you're not too far from him he will accept you just like he accepted Mary Magdalene just come to Jesus and let him shelter you like he sheltered her and then again this Mary received the gift of the Holy Ghost in the upper room she received the gift of resurrection power in her life. Both Marys, both Marys, had God create newness in them. God can create newness in any person. David prayed, God, create in me. He's still the creator. We can pray like David prayed. God, create in me a clean heart. Create in me. Jesus did not run out of creative power. He has, not, he has as much power to create now as he did then. He's still creator God. He will create in you again and again and again. Maybe you were given a label today. Maybe you have a label on you right now. 
That's just a physical label, but all of us have labels on us. All of us have labels that other people have placed on us. Other people have forced on us. We might have labels that we have put on us that we've required ourselves to carry. But God creates something new. We're not stuck with what we know about ourselves. Oh, I know. I know myself. This is who I am. No. That's a label that can be peeled off and given to Jesus. And he will create something new in your life. Would you stand? Would you take that label, whether it's an actual physical label or if it's the label that clouds your mind, the label that haunts you, the label that follows you around. If you have a physical label, you're welcome to use it as a physical act. But would you take that label? Would you bring it to Jesus this morning? Would you come out of your pews and just walk to the front here and meet with God? Just in an act of saying, Lord, I am bringing to you the label that is on me, the label that somebody else put on me, the label that I've put on myself. I am bringing it to you, Lord, because I know that you you are the creator. You will create in me a new thing. I'm not stuck in what I know myself to be. I'm not stuck in this label. I can be what you want me to be, Jesus. You can write on them if you want to. You can use it as an act of surrender. God, I give you this label. I am not going to live in this label any longer. Jesus, I pray, Lord, that you would touch these people as they bring their labels to you, God. I pray, Lord, that you create in them the things that they need to see you create in them today, Lord. That you would make all things new in their lives, Jesus. You have promised to make all things new, God. And we allow you, Lord, that work to be accomplished today. We allow you, Lord, to work in our hearts. Jesus, I need you to work in my heart. I'm like David. I sin. I make mistakes, Lord. And I pray, God, that you would create in me a new and clean and pure heart again, Lord. I pray, Jesus, that you would do your creation here today, Lord. Transform my mind, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Make that your prayer today, Jesus. Create in me today, Lord. I give myself to you, Jesus. I give myself to you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Just want to sit at your feet, Lord. I want you to do your work in me, Jesus. I need to know who you are, what you want to do in my life, Jesus. I need to have that creation done in me. Rename me, Lord Jesus. Give me a new name, your name, Jesus. The power of your name on my life, Lord. Yes, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 